Hi, my name is Eric, and as long as I can remember, I've loved horror. Horror movies, horror novels, horror comics. My life's milestones can be measured by the genre. It's given me years of entertainment, as well as countless sleepless nights. It has kept me young at heart and filled my mind with wonderful memories that I cherish. This podcast is my way of sharing those moments with you. So, starting with my birth year of 1971, I'll be listing my top horror films of every year of my life and discussing each one in detail with a little help from my friends. Join us as we journey from the cradle to the grave. In 1971, director Stanley Kubrick, fresh off the success of his masterpiece 2001 A Space Odyssey, adapted a novel by Anthony Burgess about a young man named Alex the Large. Alex is the leader of a gang of droogs who, after ingesting drugs, take to the dystopian streets of London to wreak havoc with violence and rape. Soon, Alex goes too far and is arrested for murder. His only chance at an early release is an experimental psychological conditioning technique that promises to cure him. Once back out on the streets, Alex faces his true judgment. The central idea of this film has to do with the question of free will. Do we lose our humanity if we are deprived of the choice between good and evil? Do we become, as the title suggests, a clockwork orange? to do with the evening. 
Corova Milk Bar sold Milk Plus. Milk Plus Velocet or Centinesque or Drencrum, which is what we were drinking. This would sharpen you up and make you ready for a bit of the old ultraviolence. Hello, my name is Eric, and this is a special bonus episode of Cradle to the Grave that I like to call On the Brink of Horror. These special episodes uh, will be devoted to the films that are not quite horror films, but come pretty darn close, close enough to get their own special episode. And as you've guessed by now, this episode is about A Clockwork Orange, which came out in 1971. And it was immediately slapped with an X rating and banned in various countries. And it became a legend overnight. The film was directed by Stanley Kubrick and stars Malcolm McDowell as Alex. So a little bit of my personal history with this film. Uh, So the first time I saw Clockwork Orange was probably in my late teens. I know I was old enough to be driving so it had to have been like maybe 17, 18 that I saw this film for the first time over at a friend's house. And before I watched this film, I knew of the film. I knew it was banned, it was a video nasty, but I didn't really know what the film was about. I'd seen the poster, the very cool poster with uh, Malcolm McDowell, Alex holding a knife through the pyramid and so I was super excited to see this film, and it didn't let me down. I remember loving this film as a 17-year-old. I remember that night driving home in my beat-up Toyota Celica uh, with my head tilted down like Alex driving his car with this bunch of droogs in it. And uh, yeah, it, it had an effect on me. I also went out and got the uh, soundtrack to this film because I absolutely loved what uh wendy carlos was doing with the synthesizers and would just lay in my room listening to this soundtrack and yeah it it, like i said it, it definitely had an effect on me and it wasn't a negative effect it didn't make me want to go rape it didn't make me want to go beat people up i was in love with the visuals i was in love with the music i was in love with the acting the directing i was a big fan of stanley kubrick at this point in my life and the themes of the film i also was in love with and i think when you are a 17 year old kid you are attracted to the rebellious nature of alex you are attracted to the themes of uh, fighting against the establishment you know this movie was punk rock uh, and it spoke to that inner Alex that I think a lot of uh, youths have. I watched this film two days ago now that you know I'm an older man and it hit me differently. It didn't hit me the same way as when I was 17. I still recognize the importance of the film. I, I still understand the message behind it but it left more of a bad taste in my mouth i was no longer attracted to uh, the punk rock nature of this film I, I no longer associated myself with with alex um or his actions not that i did when i was 17 but definitely not now uh alex to me in this movie now 
he is repugnant. He is an evil man. The things that he and his droogs do in this film um, are horrible. And, you know, there's a part of this film that feels like, not that it's glorifying it, but the way it is portrayed with this kind of comedic feel that Kubrick and Malcolm McDowell are, are delivering, it, I don't know, it just, it, it just rang differently to me. I still appreciate um, the talent, you know, I mean, Malcolm McDowell is uh, stunning in this film. He makes this film. He is Alex, and he's magnetic. You cannot take your eyes off him. Um, brilliant performance. And I love Kubrick's direction. I mean, that, that opening scene might be his greatest three minutes that he's ever captured on film. With that score um, and the camera pulling back in the milk bar, yeah, that forever embedded itself into film history. Like I've mentioned before on a previous episode about um, art and culture, this film is an absolute work of art. And it can absolutely upset people. Um, the scenes of rape and violence, um, they're not, it's not fun to watch. But there is a message behind it. If you can get through the black comedy and the sped up action and quirky music, like there is an underlying message. Um, it's just up to you to find it. I think I Stanley Kubrick does not make it easy for you. He's not spoon feeding you this shit. Do I like Clockwork Orange? I do. I like it. Do I revisit it every year like I revisit John Carpenter's The Thing? No. I revisit a Clockwork Orange maybe once every 10 years. And that is enough. That's also enough of what I have to say about Clockwork Orange. Let's hear what some other people think of a Clockwork Orange. Podcaster and filmmaker Jason Rudy is no stranger to Cradle to the Grave. He was a guest on the very first episode. We talked about Lady Frankenstein. He will also be a guest on the upcoming 1972 episode where we will be discussing... Ah, I'm not going to spoil it. You'll just have to tune in to find out. I reached out to him to see what he had to say about A Clockwork Orange. Hey, this is Jason Rudy from the Franco Observer podcast and from Desperate Visions Productions. I was asked to talk a little bit about the film A Clockwork Orange by Mr. Stanley Kubrick. Well, Clockwork Orange is a very important film as um, it's one of those gateway films. Um, for me, I'm a little bit older than most people, I think, that are listening to the show. I'm in my 40s, so this was a film that I ran on videotape. Uh, it's one of those films like Pink Flamingo, uh, Clockwork Orange, um, 
maybe Faster Pussycat, Kill Kill. It's, it's some of those gateway films that if you dig them, you start going in further and further. If you don't dig it, then it's your doorway and you close the door behind you and you go and you watch, uh, you know, Adam Sandler movies or, uh, you know, uh, whatever's popular, Fast and Furious films, any of that stuff. So, but yeah, Clockwork Horror is a very important film. Um, it's from Anthony Burgess. He wrote it during World War II. Uh, it was his uh, outlook on society, what he thought of people, of things. Um, when Kubrick made it, he, it was an X-rated film. It did make money. Uh, it was later re-edited down just a little teeny bit to get an R rating. Uh, it was not released in Britain, really, because uh, I think it came out for like about a week or two, and uh, Kubrick got a lot of death threats. And uh, if you look into it, there's like some good stories. I forgot off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, he had a lot of problems, so he had to withdraw it. And it wasn't shown in Britain until I think uh, after the year 2000 or late 90s. So yeah, it was almost like 20, 30 years after the fact it was finally shown in Great Britain. So yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of a rough film to watch. Um, it's a little bit of the ultra violence, as they say. So, uh, yeah, if you're into the ultraviolence, um, this film influenced a lot of films. You definitely see the style of um, futuristic looks, of music. Uh, the person that did the music was a uh, pioneer of the Moog synthesizer. Uh, she's very important, so you might want to look her up as well. Um, yeah, this is a very interesting film, really great cinematography, of course. Uh, Kubrick always had the greatest cinematographers working for him. Um, let's see what else I want to say about this film. Of course, it's the film that defined Malcolm McDowell and his career. He's forever known as Alec and his droogies. So you think if Malcolm McDowell didn't make this film, how his career would have went. So it's really interesting. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a film I haven't watched in quite a few years, but I've seen it quite a few times growing up. Like I say, it's one of those rite of passages that uh, you have it and you always carry it through. Um, it's been released many times on, uh, of course, Laserdisc and videotape, uh, beta, VHS. It's went through now uh, DVD and Blu-ray finally, and I think there's even 4K now of it. There's been so many uh, different different releases of this. Maybe not as many as the original Halloween, which has been put on DVD and videotape, God, 20, 30, 40 times. But, um, yeah, it's definitely a very influential film, something that every uh, person in their teens or 20s should watch, I think. Kind of get them an outlook of, you know, how we fit into society, what our uses are, how we either are uh, somebody that can benefit and contribute to society or be changed and uh, take away your free will until you are a part of society so I don't know it's a very important film like I say and uh, check it out Stanley Kubrick of course written by Anthony Burgess uh, 1971 it's crazy it uh, doesn't really look like that um, it's also a good film it's one of those films that it introduces a lot of people to classical music. Classical music is done very important in this film. A little bit of the Beethoven, of course, fits very nicely. So, um, yeah, 
Uh, what else do I want to say about this film? Um, oh yeah, David Prowse is in it, of course. Later on, went on to play Darth Vader, the physical form. Uh, you see him here as the Muscle Man, along with Patrick McGee or Patrick McNee. He's a great actor. Was in a lot of Hammer films. Um, yeah, check it out. Clockwork Orange, Stanley Kubrick. Um, probably not my favorite Kubrick film, but it's it's definitely uh, top three. So, alrighty, thank you. Podcaster and film critic Robert Reinecke was last on the show where we talked about the blood on Satan's claw. Here he is talking about A Clockwork Orange. Hello, Eric. Thanks for inviting me on From the Cradle to the Grave to discuss A Clockwork Orange, certainly one of the more controversial films of the 1970s, or in fact, any time. I would have to say that you gave us quite a challenge to discuss A Clockwork Orange succinctly, considering I have mixed feelings about the film. Certainly there's no denying the technical brilliance of the craft of the film or of Malcolm McDowell's career-defining performance. Both of those are absolutely brilliant, and uh, it makes A Clockwork Orange a must-watch. But it's the thematic content and the way that Kubrick goes about it that may be a little stacking the deck in favor of Alex that sometimes rubs me the wrong way and sometimes I consider quite brilliant. The last time I saw the film uh, was at a midnight screaming with an audience which is whooping and howling at all of Alex's despicableness. Uh, that rubbed me the wrong way uh, and uh, caused me to question the film itself because it's, it's certainly Alex is at best an anti-hero or certainly maybe the lesser of two evils but there's a portion of it that uh, the film itself kind of makes Alex into a symbol of the righteousness of youth and rebellion and I feel that's something of a misinterpretation of the story if you come to that conclusion certainly Alex is despicable and his violence is thoughtless even though he is quite bright and when he's good he's kind of thoughtlessly good or he has no choice but to be good and I, I feel that Kubrick gets some of that across but it's kind of lost in uh, Malcolm McDowell's charisma He's the only real human of the film, and he certainly, uh, the deck is stacked to him because nobody really musters any real counter-argument to him. And I feel that's like Kubrick. But, I mean, it's, as I said, it's, it's kind of like maybe the movie is too good for its own good, because I would not deny a second of Malcolm McDowell's performance. It's, it's one of the great performances ever. And certainly Kubrick has, has fine control over his craft. And there are many memorable images and sequences in A Clockwork Orange. Just, I think he kind of loses the theme 
in it in the in the movie somewhere but i could certainly see disagreeing and uh i kind of think the that i've come to the conclusion that uh i shouldn't hold the audience reaction against the film the film is the film but i don't have to uh give the audience the final word on it in fact i, I kind of think that a clockwork orange is a movie that plays better for me when i watch it alone than when i watch it with an audience at this stage and i i feel that's how i'm going to watch it going forward uh and i will watch it again because i i loved it as a youth i've kind of uh turned against it a little bit but i still will come back to it and probably come back and enjoy it again i know pauline kale really took stanley kubrick to task in her review in the new yorker which i feel is part of reaction to the time when she got hit with straw dogs and uh dirty harry and a clockwork orange all at once yeah maybe her reaction was a little bit over dramatic but i certainly come to understand her reaction to the film just as i kind of understand the reaction to uh the audience uh maybe being over exuberant on the other side of the equation so maybe the the best place to say is I'm, I'm hoping to find a happy medium on a clockwork orange moving forward brilliant controversial and uh still packs a punch to this day so thanks again eric and uh thank you for giving me the soapbox to talk about one of the great movies of the 1970s And finally, we have the owner of Body Tribe Fitness, musician, and author, Chip Conrad. This is his first appearance on the show, but he will be back in the 1974 episode to chat with me about a massacre that occurred in Texas that year. Until then, here he is talking about Clockwork Orange. Come get it in the yarbles, if you have any yarbles, you eunuch jelly thou. Just doesn't sound great without the accent, does it? I'm not even going to attempt the accent. How awesome is it, though, that there's a movie full of cussing without anything that we recognize as cussing? Apparently, Kubrick and the writers were so true to the book when it came to the language that they actually carried around copies of the book instead of the scripts to memorize and learn the dialogue, which is a fantastically unique and creepy aspect of this film. But I think, I think one of the questions this podcast is going to ask a lot is is it a horror film i first saw it when i was in my late teens and at that point i had had a considerable amount of horror film experience mostly in the slasher film genre and yet this film disturbed me more than any horror film i had seen something about the classic horror film particularly the, the slasher film there's a cartoonish aspect to it that lets you suspend disbelief and just have that sort of childish you factor sure there's the jump scares and the and the startles but that all plays into a childish aspect of macabre fun clockwork orange on the other hand gave me the teenage version of me and still to this day a visceral feeling of horror the movie really packs it in in those first 17 minutes or so doesn't it, it there's brutal beatings there's killings there's several incidences of, of sexual assault but it's all played up and not in a cartoonish way but in a gut-wrenching you're sort of there experiencing it way and there's this hint both in the book and in the movie that 
we're supposed to identify with that. We're supposed to sort of associate with the joy the droogs are having. Like, that's part of us as well. And I believe a big part of the experience is that we do. There's some deep, dark part in us that goes, yes. At least as a male in America, there's this little kernel of something that says, yes, I want to experience the, I, I dare say, freedom of being able to just have that kind of control over people. And that's ultimately what the movie's about. Everyone wants control. The need for control and that quest for control is highlighted, but it's not in a way that we're disassociated from it. The characters are not cartoonish as much as they are caricatured. They all have something about them that's bigger than life, but more as archetypes than unreal. From the extreme experience and pathos and revenge of the writer, to the droogs themselves, particularly Alex, to the loud and extreme prison guard, even to David Prowse's character. That's right. The physical presence of Darth Vader is in this movie. He doesn't say much. I think he has one line, but he is literally bigger than life with those outrageous red shorts, if you can even call them that, and that weird little top he wears at the beginning of the scene. We see these people who want the control as caricatures, and yet we have a little connection with them, or at least we can see the connection with them and humanity. Whether we're willing to admit it in ourselves or not, it's there. This, this power struggle is there. And so when the exchanges of power exist, we believe it and we, and we feel it. So the first chunk of the movie may not be a classic horror film, but it's horrific. That's disturbing. More so than the classic slasher film. And I, I don't know if the cinematography plays into this or not, but it's linear. If Lovecraft always had a hard-on for non-Euclidean geometry, if you've read his books, you see that phrase all the time. This is extremely Euclidean in its filming. It's very linear. There's a lot of straight lines and perpendicular lines and parallel lines and angled lines. It's just lines, which makes it compelling and stunning to watch. The only curves and circles you really see are the people, whether they're the statues at the milk bar or they're the actual characters in the film. The people are the most curvy aspects of the film. I couldn't tell you what Kubrick's vision meant at that point, but it's very uh, intriguing to the eyeball. With all the books and the shadows and the lines and the angles and the walls, it's a very linear visual experience. So it's a wonderful, tragic experience of having these larger-than-life characters who are actually relatable. They represent something about us, which is ultimately why it's so horrific. It's hard to pinpoint who the bad guy is in this movie, because they all are. Welly, 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 well. What a horror show of an episode. I'd like to thank my fellow Cheleviks, Jason Rudy, Robert Reinecke, and Chip Conrad for racking their old Gullivers to prod a Malinky Govrit. How very Sladaki of them. And I, your humble narrator, would like to thank you, oh my brothers and only friends, for listening. Until next time.